2020. It, it sounds, for me at least, it sounds a little bit strange even to say 2020. And it'll, it'll probably be May before I stop writing 2019. But 2020, this is the, this is the first week, uh, this is the first week of 2020, a new year, a new decade. And, it, and for me, it just, it just feels different, this first Sunday of 2020. And I don't, I don't know what others are going to do with today, but the way that I see it, pun intended, the way that I see it, this first Sunday of a new year in a new decade as a church family, if ever we're going to do it, today's the day to do it. If ever, if ever we're going to do it, today's the day to do it, to roll out a, a 2020 vision. This is our only, this is the only shot that we are ever going to have this first Sunday of 2020 to present and to get on board with a 2020 vision. Even, granted, even though 2015 vision is actually better than 2020 vision, we missed that boat. But today is a day, today is a day that the leadership here at Eastridge has been in prayer about for some time. This evolved out of a ministry retreat from a little over a year ago. Over the last couple of years, the, the ministers here at Eastridge, we've gone to Lake Granbury to, to be able to have some time and to spend some time in prayer, to spend some time in study, to talk about what we're doing well, to talk about what we're not doing so well, what we can do better. We spend some time, we, we eat our weight at Babe's Chicken there in Granbury. Um, but this came out of a, a minister's retreat a couple of years ago, and I truly believe that today, and what we're going to begin to unpack today and focus upon uh, over the next two months, but this vision that my hope and my prayer is something that we not only lay hold of for 2020, I hope that this is something that we lay hold of for a long, long time. I truly believe that today has the potential to be a day that in, in years to come, in decades to come, that today has the potential to be a day that we can look back upon and think to ourselves, that's the day that things changed for us. To roll out a vision, to re-envision who we are as the people of God that meet here in this place. And yet in order to do that, in order for that vision to, to stick, it's got to be two things. It's got to be simple and it's got to be deep. Our God is the God who, who makes all things new. Our God is the God whose mercies are new every morning. And yet, rather than some sort of New Year's resolution, a new year, a new you sort of cliche idea that's given some attention at the beginning of January, and then after a week or two, 
loses its momentum. We're wanting to cast a vision that is clear and that is simple and that is deep. A goal, a a touchstone for us as a church family. A vision that causes us to look beyond the year 2020. And one that begins to work itself into the DNA of the Eastridge Church of Christ far beyond this calendar year. I'd like it to be something that we focus upon for a long, long time. And so as simple as it is, and as deep as it is, here's our 2020 vision. Loving God, loving others. And, and maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, well, well, Jason, you're kind of stealing that from Jesus. Yes, we are. We're stealing that from Jesus. Totally. Loving God. Loving others. We know, and we're going to see this over the next several weeks, over as we, as we, get, we begin to, to dig into this as a church family. We'll see in weeks ahead as we unpack this a little bit at a time. All the law and all of the prophets hinge upon these two commands. We know that there are no two commands that are greater than these. We know, or we should at least, that we cannot, we cannot love others if we do not love God. And we do not love God if we do not love others. And so if wanting to present a vision of who we are striving to be then we've got to be convinced that there is no clearer vision to have than this. Loving God. Loving others. This is not going to be something that we focus on only during our time of, of worship. This is, this is something that I'm going to be reminding of you and we're going to be placing in front of you. This is something that we're asking us to, to take hold of. This is something we're asking for our our Bible class teachers, those of you who are Bible class teachers, this is something that we're asking for you to highlight along the way. This is something that we're asking for our small groups to, to elevate whenever you see fit. Something for our, our youth classes to, to center around. This is something for us to remind ourselves of, to remind ourselves of these truths. For this to be a part of, of who we are as a church family, loving God and loving others. So much so that in years to come, whenever you meet somebody here in town and they hear, oh, you go to the Eastridge Church of Christ, loving God, loving others, that's you guys, right? Yes, that's us. Yes, you're right. For this to be just a part of our core identity as a church body. And I know, I know that we know. I know that we know that it's important. But for this to be at the core of who we are and what we do, and for that to show, for that to demonstrate, for, for, for these truths to be demonstrated in our actions, for this to be the rubric by which we judge who we are and what we do, and whether or not we're doing what we do well. Are we loving God? Are we loving others? A couple of years ago, as we were working through reorganizing some of the, some of the ministries that we have here at Eastridge, 
we realized, there was this moment when we realized that of all of the vast, all of the vast array of ministries that we have here at Eastridge, every last one of them fits under one of these two categories. Now, many of them overlap, right? But we recognize that every ministry that we have as a church family fits under one of these two categories, one of these two commands. Sunday morning worship, where does that fit? It fits under loving God. Now, yes, there's an element of loving others in worship, but as we come together, loving God, our Bible classes, loving God. Yes, there's an element of loving others, but falling under that category of loving God. Think of all the programs that we hub here at Eastridge. Uh, just a couple of them. Orphan care. What's that fall under? Loving others. Programs like Feed the Hungry. The Glow Walk at Harry Myers Park. Loving others. For this 2020 vision of loving God and loving others. To be the main avenue through which God does what He does through us. After today, our website, our Facebook page, Instagram, every outlet that we have. This is going to be our vision. Instead of a scripture of the month, we're going to have a scripture of the year for 2020. It's going to come out of Matthew chapter 22, loving God, loving others. We're going to read it every Sunday. We're going to read it every Sunday together. This is who we are. This is what we do. Now, I've got so many other things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present over the next couple of months in regard to what this is going to look like and how this is going to get lived out in real life, in real time. As our God compels us to respond in love for Him and in love for our neighbors. As lives are changed, both the lives of others and our lives in doing this, the mark of a good church is not how many people worship there. The mark of a good church is whether or not lives are being changed. Whether or not people are being transformed more into the image of Christ. Not even how many come, but how many are changed. You with me on this? This, make, this is yes, this is no. Come on. Yes, this is important. This is at the core of the identity that God has given us, that God has, has called us to, as we're being found, as we're founded in Christ, as we're living lives as believers, as we're living lives as baptized people, immersed into Christ and immersed into a radically different way of life. There are no commands that are greater than these two. Love God. Love others. And yes, 2020, it's a perfect time to roll this out. But this is more than a New Year thing. This is more than a one-year thing. This is a gospel thing. It's a kingdom thing. Primary passages. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend time in Matthew 22, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 10. We're going to spend time in a number of other places. But today, in the time that we've got left, I want to spend the majority of our time in Luke chapter 10. 
And even though Luke chapter 10 is a familiar passage to many of us, and we're going to be coming back around to it in the months ahead, I wanted today, I wanted today to, sort of, to sort of begin at the end. Starting next week, I'm going to go back to the beginning. But today, I wanted to sort of begin at the end. Loving God, loving others. I think there's no better place than Luke chapter 10 for this. Beginning in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, we're tempted to think that you might be from God. And yet Jesus answers that question by responding with an idea of eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? Jesus says, you're the expert. Of course, this expert has come to, to test Jesus. We'll see in weeks to come that, that in Mark chapter 12, you've got this one who comes to Jesus and he's genuinely wanting to know the answer of the greatest command. But here, this teacher of the law, he's come to Jesus trying to trip him up. He's trying to test Jesus. What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And the man answers, he answers correctly here. He knows the answer within his mind. He just doesn't have the right response in here. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You see, the man asks, he asks, just, just who's my neighbor? And Jesus replies with the parable where the neighbor is the hero of the story, not the man asking the question. Because we so want to be the hero of the story. You and I do. Even if it means edging Jesus out. Look at how he continues. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped, stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, religious people, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... The man who comes to ask Jesus this question is this, is this Jewish religious leader. You could not get more of an other than him in the story for Jesus to, to, to make the hero of the story someone who was other than him. There's no greater contrast than a Samaritan to the man that's asking the question. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity upon him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man in his own donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. 
which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You see, the Samaritan is so other than he is, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. When Jesus says, who is it that showed mercy? The one, not the Samaritan, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You see, it's not just loving God and loving your neighbor. That's why I chose to begin at the end. It's not just about loving God and loving your neighbor. It's about loving God and loving others. Loving, which is going to be a message all on its own. Loving. Loving the other. Who is the other to you? You see, that's the question of who's my neighbor. It's a question of how far am I supposed to take this? How seriously am I supposed to take this kingdom that I say that I'm a part of? Jesus, exactly how radical am I supposed to be? Who is the other to you? Loving God, loving others. We love God and we love others, but we cannot love others if we do not love God and we do not love God if we do not love others. And so we love our neighbors. And this is precisely why I think that this vision of loving God and loving others, and even today embarking upon this journey together, this is the reason why I think that this could be something that we point to decades from now and acknowledge that's where things changed for us. And it's this question of this one that did not believe, this question of this religious leader who had it here but didn't have it here. It's this question that he asks. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And so we love. We love with the love of God. We love with the sacrificial agape love of God. We love with the love of God, the love that He poured out upon us through Christ that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet we ask because we're afraid. Who's my neighbor? How far am I supposed to take this? How seriously am I supposed to take this kingdom that I say that I'm a part of? Jesus, just how radical am I supposed to be? And so Jesus says, I want you to love your neighbor. Jesus says, I want you to love your Christian neighbor. And we think to ourselves, ah, Christian neighbor, not so hard. Jesus replies and says, I wasn't finished yet. 
I want you to love your Christian neighbor who doesn't believe the same way that you do. I want you to love them with the love of God. I want you to love them. I want you to love your Methodist neighbor. I want you to love your Baptist neighbor. I want you to love your Presbyterian neighbor. I want you to love your Catholic neighbor. I want you to love your Lake Point neighbor. I want you to love your Jewish neighbor, your Buddhist neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, your atheist neighbor. I want you to love your homosexual neighbor, and I want you to love your homophobic neighbor. I want you to love your immigrant neighbor, and I want you to love your build that wall neighbor. I want you to love your Republican neighbor and your Democrat neighbor and your neighbor that is still feeling the burn. I want you to love I want you to love your millennial neighbor and I want you to love your grippy old man stay off my yard neighbor. I want you to love your white neighbor and your black neighbor, your brown neighbor and every other beautiful shade of human being that God paints because even though God paints with different colors, beautiful colors, He paints from the same palette. Jesus says, I want for you to love your neighbor, specifically the neighbor who is other than you are. Other to you. I want you to love that neighbor. Because when you love God and you love them and they know, when they know where that love is coming from, kingdom things happen. Loving God Loving others. And specifically the language of others. This became so evident as we began to talk this through. It's become, it became important as we talked through what this vision would look like. Specifically this language of others. Because when you get right down to it, even though you and I, even though we're created in the image of God, God is holy and God is pure and God is righteous and yet you and I are not, right? Now we focus upon and we're, we're grateful for, we, we bask in the wonder that it is that God makes us holy and pure and righteous through Jesus. But the truth of the matter is God is altogether other than we are and we are altogether other than God. We're other to God. But it's the otherness of God, His holiness, and His righteousness that gives us the capacity to reveal Him to a lost and dying world that whether it realizes it or not is aching for Him. The parable of the Good Samaritan 
it's, it's, it's one that we're going to come back to a number of times over the next couple of months. Loving God. Loving others. And then leaning in on this question. Who's my neighbor? Tim Keller writes this in regard to the Good Samaritan. Until we see Jesus as our Good Samaritan, we will never be sacrificial in our love for our neighbors. Henry Nowen White writes this, when our hearts are filled with prejudices, worries, and fears, 2020 America, can I get an amen there? Until, uh, when our hearts are filled with prejudices, worries, and fears, there is little room for a stranger. Richard Rohr puts it this way, the world no longer trusts Christians who love Jesus, but do not seem to love anything else. I would change that a bit and say, do not seem to love anyone else. John, the apostle that Jesus loved, writes it this way, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates their brother or sister, that word hate, it could actually be translated a different way. Love less, loves less. If anyone says, I love God, but loves less their brother or sister, they're a liar. For the one who does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot possibly love God whom they've not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. Loving God, loving others, this is not just a, a theme, this is our vision, it's our vision. And so I'm asking you to be, to be in prayer as we embark upon this journey together. Not only over the next couple of months, but we've got some things on the horizon as a church family that I think are going to bring this, they're going to bring this vision into a clearer focus. See what I did there? Bring this vision into a clearer focus. And I want to ask you to, to be praying about this, praying about, about this journey that we're embarking upon as a church family. And to recognize that this, this is not just 2020. This is 2020 and beyond. This is who we're called to be. What we're called to as believers. Loving God. Loving others. And for us to just get out of the way and to see what God does with this as we take this seriously. As is our custom, we're about to, to sing a song of encouragement. And if in some way we can bless you and encourage you, uplift you, pray over you, we'd love to be given the honor of doing so. If you've never been baptized into Christ, you've never given your life to God through Jesus by being immersed into Him, I pray that you would not leave here this morning without having done so. Let's all stand and sing.